All right, I'm going to call you to order. Any any thoughts and revelations? Who's going first? Faith in Jesus, what does it mean? Ah. Oh, interesting, but I don't think so. No, let's go with the sort of details of the prepositions. We'll know. I think it's Jesus is important. That he exists. Good. That's a start. Yeah. Faith in Jesus. What else? Did none of you come to any conclusions? <laughs> Fairly. Okay. That's great. So, faith in his completed work. Yeah, I like it. Yeah? Faith in? Do we have the spirit or not? One, 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 of my, one of my favorite illustrations is this. You know, the spirit is a person, not a thing. We, if the Holy Spirit as a person is living inside us, have we got all of him or just a little bit of him? Because um, if you invite me to dinner, do I send my tongue along first just to check the food's okay? Yeah. Um, no, if, I'm sorry, but you're going to get all of me. <laughs> you know, when my tongue comes, the rest of me comes. When the Holy Spirit lives in us, all of him lives in us. And all of his gifts and power are available to each one of us. Yeah. I think we have him completely. Um, we just need to let him out. <laughs> um, as, as Reinhardt says, the lion is in here. Let him roar. <laughs> uh, we, he's here. We just need to let him out. And that's the issue I think that we have. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good, and I think I'm going to look at some of those issues um, later on. But um, because um, they're what I call roadblocks, 
um, and yeah, we can believe, we've got faith, but we've also got roadblocks. And, and you know, um, the scriptures say, remove the stones. If you're going to make a highway, you've got to, they're, they're, they're digging up the, the paddocks all next to our house because they're going to make a big industrial park where we live. And the whole thing is a big sea of mud. But if they're going to make anything, they first of all start digging. You've, the first thing you've got to do is get the, uh, get them. well, actually what they're doing is taking the hills away. It's alarming. Yeah, sort of, there was a big hill with a house on top. House disappeared, the hill's gone. Oh, yeah, move the stones, remove the stones, build a highway. Yeah, that's part of the process. So, yeah, faith in Jesus. Faith in what, what else? What, what, was, what else can it mean? I've got about a dozen things that I think it can mean. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so all of that's all that's really good, and uh, and I want to look at that tomorrow morning. Is is how can we recognize the place where we are in faith, and where other people are in faith? Because when we come to minister to the sick, one question that Jesus would would always be asking, if not if not um, openly, although he did often, was where's the faith? What's the faith level that we're working with? And he would do things to change that. So we, we can look at that, and that's uh, I think will be something that will help. It certainly helped me uh, over the last year or two. Is this recognizing that we need to be onto that? Um, so thank you. Yeah, we'll look at that. What? Yeah, you were going to say. Yeah, uh, there's always an element of that. I think, though, that we have to be careful that it doesn't come back to what we do. It must come always be what Jesus has already done. Um, and, and I think, because otherwise we can end up putting our faith in the wrong thing. We can be put our faith in, oh, well, did you pray enough? You know, or uh, did you say the right thing? Yeah, did you, did you use the right method? Did you... You know, and suddenly it's all about our works instead of what he's already done. Uh, and I think it's very important that we keep that focus. It's actually all about him. It's about Jesus. It's about what he's done. It's about his power. It's about his name. It's about his glory. It's about his promises. It's about his word. These are his, above all, his love for people. He loves people. He hates sickness. And, and, we put our faith in those things because otherwise there's, there's going to be something in us which holds us back. It's all the time it's sort of that, that hindrance because it's, um, it's, yes, I know that Jesus 
it's going to heal, but. And it's that but that we have to deal with. Sorry, we deal too in this country, I noticed. Have you noticed that? I'm English, we deal with. I asked the Aussies when I was over there the other day, do you deal with or deal too? They say, we deal with. Oh, but in New Zealand nowadays, we deal too. No. Sorry, I'm just a, I'm a writer, so I, f I find these things funny. I'd like to, uh, uh, we've got, uh, uh, to move on, you said there were going to be two sessions, and we kind of flowed from one into the other. Is that okay? Um, another thing that God has really dr quite dramatically revealed to me over the last year or two, and I've just found this absolutely extraordinary. I've always been a bit hesitant about how we pray for the sick. What do, we, what do we actually do? So I went back to the scriptures and I thought, well, what did Jesus do? Are you ready for the surprise? Jesus never prayed for the sick. I'll say it again. Jesus never prayed for the sick. He just healed them. Oh, was that interesting? It blew me away. So then I started studying, well, how did the disciples heal the sick? Did they pray? I found only two occasions. Mostly they didn't. Mostly they just laid hands or commanded, like Jesus. In the Old Testament, they did pray for the sick. Now this is interesting. Moses prayed for Miriam when Miriam got leprosy. Do you remember the story? Miriam was, and, and Aaron were in rebellion. And, uh, and so Miriam got leprosy and Moses prayed for her and she got healed. Abraham prayed for Abimelech, the first story of healing in the Bible. When the king Abimelech and his whole family got sick, and Abraham prayed and they got healed. And there are quite a few stories in the Old Testament of people who pray for the sick and they get healed. In the New Testament, it changes. Now, if it's changing in the New Testament, then for me, this is significant. It means that the, the dynamic, the parameters, or whatever you want to call it, but basically, make it, keeping it simple, the bottom line, something has changed. And what I believe has changed is that Jesus has given us, the church, his authority. We did not have the, the people in the Old Testament did not have that authority. And therefore they needed to ask the Father to heal. Jesus had been given the Father's authority to heal the sick. Therefore, he didn't need to ask the Father because he'd already been given it himself. Do you get this? And therefore, when Jesus says to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything that I have taught you. Sorry, teaching them to obey. I left a key word out. Teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you. 
Therefore, that must include, that is the handing over, there's also Matthew 16, which I teach about, but there's the handing over of his authority to heal. When he said to the disciples in Luke chapter 10, the 72, and he sent them out, and he sent them out, and he said, go out, heal the sick. The, the very command transfers the authority. When somebody in command gives a command to somebody under their authority, it transfers the authority. You, you, you understand that? So therefore, when Jesus says, heal the sick, and it's a command, the authority is transferred. We have been given authority by Jesus to do it. Therefore, we don't need to ask the Father for it. Do you see that it's to, to me this is huge. And and so when we start asking the father to heal my brother, because you know, especially when we start saying, Oh, well, you know, he's he's been such a good brother, and that's got nothing to do with it. He's not healed because he's good, he's healed because Jesus is good. He's healed by grace, not works. How good he is or how bad he is is totally irrelevant. What matters is if you've got any faith. <laughs> if you've got any faith. What tends to happen is when they're bad, you've got less faith than them when they're good. So maybe the good people get healed. And I'm just making it up as I go along. <coughs> it's grace. And it's because we have been given authority by Jesus to heal the sick. Each one of us have this authority because we're believers. This is one of the things it means to, to have faith in Jesus. Is we've got faith in that transferred authority. That's what it means when it says, when, when Peter preaches in, in Acts chapter 3, and he says, he, has a, this, he was explaining how the little crippled beggar was healed, and he says, this man was healed by faith in the name of Jesus. Faith in the name of Jesus. It means we recognize that we have the authority of Jesus. We, we come in his name. We are ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador has authority. So we, we don't need to pray to the Father when we heal the sick. Therefore, prayer and healing, or prayer and ministry, are two different things. Prayer is a conversation with God. And there are lots of forms that that takes. It can be worship, it can be intercession, it can be petition, it can be thanksgiving, it can be all of these things. But that's all different aspects of prayer. But it is what you might call a vertical transaction. Ministry, which includes healing, but it also includes what I'm doing now, is a horizontal transaction between you and people. We receive, that's prayer. We give, that's ministry. Ministry. 
Because we've been given the authority and because the Holy Spirit lives within us and what the Spirit can do, we can do. This is scary stuff, isn't it? What the Spirit can do, you can do. Because we have the Spirit and we have His power and because we have the authority of Jesus, we don't need to ask the Father. We can just do it. We can just do it. I, it completely blows me away the, the grace that God has given his people. And that's why Jesus was able to say, you can do even greater things. Not just because there are more of us, but because, hey, he was only around for three and a, three and a half years, you know. We've had longer, praise God. What's the name of the guy in, uh, in Central America who's raised over 100 people from the dead? Um, sorry? David, yeah, thank you. Uh, amazing. So, David Hogan, that's right. So, we can do, I mean, Jesus didn't raise, what, what, did, he, what did he raise? Um, five, six, five, five. There was a, there was a lady in South Africa who went, wanted to join the Bible college and uh, she wasn't very well educated and so they, they were going to they were going to turn down her application um, and uh, so they said well you know you, you've got no qualifications she said well I've raised seven people from the dead what qualifications <laughs> do I need <laughs> yeah, scary stuff. Does this mean that it's wrong to pray? Absolutely not. Of course not. Um, there are scriptures which teach us that we can pray for the sick. Um, and uh, Acts chapter 5, um, where are we? John, Acts. Um, Acts chapter 4, sorry, verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. This was the disciples all having a big prayer meeting um, and the place where, the, where they prayed were, was, uh, was shaken. This is in Acts chapter 4 after Peter and John had been persecuted for healing the, um, the crippled beggar. And... Uh, so they are praying for the sick. There's another interesting scripture. Um, might just go there quickly. Uh, John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And when it comes to, um, when Jesus is taken to the, to the tomb, he says, take away this stone. <coughs> and... Uh, Martha says, but it'll smell. Look what he says. Look what Jesus says. If you believed, you would see the glory of God. He's back to this faith thing again. 
You see that? And then he took away the stone. And then this happened. I find this fascinating. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I thank you that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. What he was really saying is, I'm going to have a prayer now, but I didn't need to pray. I'm just praying that people would know what, what's going on. Don't you love it? It's just so cool. Um, but actually, it tells us something important. Probably lots that I haven't worked out, but it does tell I, I've realized what it, one thing it says, and that's this. Father, I thank you that you have heard me, which means that Jesus had already prayed for Lazarus. Not only had he already prayed for Lazarus, but he didn't need to pester God anymore because he knew that God would answer. Do you see his faith? Faith in the actual prayer or intercession that Jesus had offered up days before. Who knows, maybe even weeks or months before. But he had prayed for his friend and he knew. I thank you, he says. I knew that you always hear me. I mean, what wonderful confidence. So that therefore, when it comes to actually raising Lazarus from the dead, what does he do? He doesn't pray again. He just says, Lazarus, come out. Quite loud, I would imagine, because there was a stone and there was wrappings. If we could get this image in our minds, that, that this is how Jesus operated. Prayer is great. Prayer is important. Nothing happens without prayer. But, it, but when it comes to ministry, it's different. Do you see? So here you've got... Prayer, Jesus must have prayed beforehand, but when it came time to do the ministry, the prayer thing was settled. That was sorted. He just, he just activated the answer. Therefore, when we come to minister healing to people, yeah, by, by all means, spend hours on your knees if that's what it's going to take. But when you've got that breakthrough, when you come to that place where you know it's done, then go out and do it. We don't need to pray anymore. You, know, you just put it into action. A couple more, because I think these are really, well, they've helped me. Um, Acts chapter 9 because we're going to need to have some ministry time uh, Acts chapter 9 this is the story of Peter and Tabitha or Dorcas um, I'll read the story in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha which translated as Dorcas who were always doing good and helping the poor. About this time she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing them the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Now, listen to what happened. 
Peter sent them all out of the room. That was the first thing. He changed the spiritual atmosphere. He changed the faith atmosphere. They were all crying because they weren't expecting her to come back to life. You get it? Why else were they, were they crying? If they thought, well, we're going to see a wonderful miracle here, they'd have been on the edge of their seat. No, but they were all weeping. So they weren't expecting anything to happen. Second part of that verse, then he got down on his knees and prayed. So he's praying. Then it says, turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. That's ministry. See the difference? Now, notice it says he turned towards the dead woman. So when he was praying, he wasn't praying over her. He was praying away. Lord, he was praying. When he'd got the answer from the Lord, he turned to her, full of faith, get up. Job done. The job was done there. But now we have to activate it. You see? So prayer and ministry are two different things. Why did... Why did... Um, Peter pray for this one when Paul raised um, the young lad Eutychus from the dead um, he didn't pray he just laid on him and he brought him back to life different story it's interesting most of the raisings from the dead are kids have you noticed that in scripture I think there are seven in scripture and, and um, I said Jesus raised five he didn't raise five he raised one, two, three. He raised three. Then a whole lot were raised when he was when he when he died. But that's all right. Um, they were kids, except Lazarus, who was older, and this one, Dorcas. Now, my personal opinion is, she was an old lady, and Peter needed to know if it was her time to go, or if God had still more for her to do on the earth. And he needed to get that clearance from God before he went about the raising of the dead business. Because if it wasn't... Because I love this story of Wigglesworth. Some of you have read it and you know the story. But one day he'd gone out preaching and he came back and he found his wife uh, in bed and she was dead. She'd died while he was out. So with great faith he commanded her to come back to life and she did. And she sat up and she said, Smith, what are you doing? My time has come. And he said, okay, well then you better go. So she laid them down and died a second time. An extraordinary story. But it tells us that we've all got a time. We've all got a moment. And we don't want to step across God's call. If God has called us home, it's our time. And we need to know that. That's why I think we don't find, when they're, when they're kids, we don't find that prayer beforehand but when they're not kids we do so anyway you, you, you can make sense of that um, there's another one where we read it and it's just another worth worth just looking at this um, 
I'll try and get through this. Just a couple more things I want to share about the difference between prayer and ministry. Uh, Acts chapter 28. Um, this was Paul, as a prisoner, was on the island of Malta. They'd landed on Malta after the shipwreck. And it says this. There was an estate nearby, this is verse 7. Acts 28, verse 7. Um, that belonged to the Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. See? In fact, the Greek says, having prayed, because it uses that expression a lot, the Greek. But So Paul... Having prayed, placed his hands on him and healed him. So Paul had had a little bit of a prayer session. Job sorted, laid hands. He didn't need to pray over him. Do you see? See the difference? And I love this next verse. And it says, when this had happened, the rest of the sick of the island came and were cured. Luke, who wrote this, is a doctor. Luke uses different words for healing, and he's very careful with them. And here, the first one is Iomai, Greek Iomai, placed his hands on him and healed him. That's Greek word is Iomai, and it just means healing. Um, the second one, they came and were cured, and the Greek he uses here is therapio, from which we get therapy. Interesting that. Luke should choose a change of words. I suspect, this is again, I'm just guessing here, but I suspect that Luke was involved in that second lot. Don't you? He's the doctor. And he, they, were, they were having a great time doing ministry and uh, doctoring at the same time. But that's just, otherwise, why did he change the word? It's just a little speculation I have about it. Now we, I want to look at the, the one verse in scripture, one passage, two verses in scripture where healing and prayer are mentioned together. And that's in the um, in New Testament, I should say, um, in James chapter 5. But before we go there, because God gave me a, a revelation on this and it just helped me enormously. Um, before we go there, I want to look at another well-known passage about prayer um, in Mark chapter 11. Because I, I've always slightly struggled with this, and I suddenly, I, I think a penny, a penny dropped, and I love this. Here's the passage in Mark chapter 11. Um, we know well about prayer, verse 22 to 24. Or even perhaps include 25. Mark 11:22. Have faith in God. Notice again that emphasis. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he said will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. We quote that verse a lot. Uh, believe that you have it. 
who received it. Notice the three tenses there. Um, I tell you, whatever you ask for, present tense, believe that you have received it, past tense, and it will be yours, future tense. This is how faith works. Faith believes that it is already a done deal when we, when we pray it. It's sorted. And it will be yours. Because otherwise, we're not in faith, we're in hope. And no one is healed by hope. I'll spend more time on that tomorrow. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Verse 25, when you stand praying, if you hold anyone against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your, you your sins. Odd that he should touch, tack that on, except that I believe that unforgiveness is one of the key roadblocks to not hear, having answered prayer. So there's, uh, he, he, that's an important part of the process. If we're harboring unforgiveness, then you know God is actually wanting to answer but can't. Why this? Wh what did God show me? What I suddenly realized was this whole thing about whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, is actually in the context of the cursing of the fig tree. This is the whole story. Jesus had cursed the fig tree. He said to the tree, you know, that's not a logical thing to do anyway. You know, Jesus had spoken to the tree, and he said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Trees don't have ears, but hey, Jesus spoke to the tree. And guess what? The next day it was dead. And Peter is amazed. Look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And this is when God says, If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. Notice, he's not talking, he's not praying to the Father. He's speaking to the mountain. Jesus didn't pray to God to curse the fig tree. He spoke to the tree. This is critical. When it comes to healing, and I find so many people don't get this, we speak to the mountain. We don't talk about it. The mountain is whatever is bigger than you. So the mountain is the sickness. Mountain is what you can't do. You're, you might have a mountain of sickness, a mountain of debt, a mountain of cancer, a mountain of whatever it is. It's a mountain. It's too big. Don't speak about it. Speak to it. And that's what this is about. So when it says, whatever you ask for in prayer, Jesus is talking about, he's not talking about petition, he's talking about command. You see that? That's the context. Whatever you command, whatever mountain you speak to, believe and it will be yours. Our problem is we struggle to believe. And we're like Peter climbing out of the boat. 
Call me. If it's you, Lord, call me to come. And Jesus just says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat. <laughs> He's walking on the water. It's physically impossible. And, and I think, I mean, I'm guessing, but I think when he first started, the first few steps, Peter's going, this is impossible. This is ridiculous. I can't believe he didn't look back at the guy at the disciples. <laughs> if it was me, uh, that's what I would have been. Yeah, I'm doing it. And then, and then, of course, he stops looking at Jesus. He stops looking at the word. And this is where we get, start to go wrong. Something I'm going to share a couple of times, but I think I just feel to share it now. When we start to get concerned about what we see instead of what we are being promised, we're actually putting our faith in our experience and not in the Word of God. And that's dangerous. Jesus said, come. And as long as Peter walked on the Word of God, he could come. But as soon as he began to look at his experience, he started to go down and he needed the hand of Jesus to help him up. Praise God for the hand of Jesus, you know. That's, I love that grace. Jesus helped him up. And how did they walk back to the boat? Hand in hand, didn't they? They must have walked back hand in hand. It could only have been, I love it, the grace of God. But Peter did it. Bless him. He got out of the boat because he was watching Jesus. And he had his eyes fixed on Jesus and... Forgive me, Peter, if I got it wrong about looking back at the disciples. But, but you had your eyes fixed on Jesus and you could do it. And then, and then came that moment that the Bible tells us that you looked at the wind and the waves. And you're going, oh my goodness. And that fear began to get into your heart. And this, this bad report can rob us of our miracles. Um, the worst report I think anyone in the Bible got at any stage was Jairus when they came to him and they said, don't trouble the master anymore, your daughter's dead. I think probably the worst news any parent can ever have, your daughter's dead. Don't pester God anymore. And what did Jesus do? He turned to him and he said, in fact, what the Bible says, Jesus, ignoring what they said. That's what it says. That's what the scripture says. Ignoring what they said. Wow. Can we do that? Are we able Ignoring, have you had bad news? Have you had a bad report? Ignoring what they said 
Jesus said to him, Do not be afraid. Only believe. Three things. Ignoring the bad report. Don't be afraid. Because fear will allow that, will steal the miracle, will steal the healing. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Only. That's all we have to do. We have faith in Jesus. Only believe. It's hard. Because we put our faith in our experience. We put our faith in what we see and what we feel and what we hear. We put our faith in what other people tell us. But, but Jesus says, don't, don't be afraid. He wants us well. Um, my time's nearly gone. and um, I've only done about half of what I meant to do, but whatever. We've got all of tomorrow, hey. I think we just need a little bit of time, ministry time. Is that okay? Because um, I know some of us are not too well. Um, how do I say that? That's not, not a word of knowledge. It's just common sense. In <laughs> a crowd of 50 people, there's always going to be the summer. Not, not going to be well. Um, it's quite funny ministering to young people. We sometimes we don't have anyone that's not well. Oh, okay. Might be a few rugby injuries, but otherwise we're struggling to find anybody that's sick. But uh, I'm happier with the older folk. There's always a few around that got issues. <laughs>